0: We do it 15 different ways if we need to. Post the link, give them feedback, do a picture, do a video, do a dance, (laughs) whatever it takes. We want to do that.
1: This week on the Pedagogy Toolkit, we're doing a two-part episode with special guest Abby Mosher. Abby is the Blackboard Support Coordinator and an Adjunct Teaching Fellow in Communications here at the University of Arkansas. Abby's going to talk to us about using Blackboard to effectively organize and manage your course so that it doesn't become a stressor throughout the year. And you can set not only your students up for success, but yourself as well.
0: My name is Abby Mosier. I'm the Blackboard Support Coordinator for the University of Arkansas and Global Campus. I'm also an uh, adjunct teaching uh, fellow here at the University of Arkansas. I teach with the communication department and help students with their public speaking skills.
1: Thank you, Abby. So, Abby, you and I were talking earlier about organizing and how I've been trying to just clean my house out to get ready for the next phase here. Um, I've had a lot of things coming into the house and not a lot of things going out of the house. So I need some of that to happen. Um but one of the problems that I'm having right now is that I just can't find things where they are. Um and so have you seen that I think it's on Netflix, that Marie Kondo show? Yes.
0: The if it doesn't spark joy in you, don't keep it.
1: Yes. So <laughs> I have a whole mountain of things that are not sparking my joy. Um and but it, it has really helped me Start finding some things, and also just getting more invested uh, in in what I do have, so that I can maintain it.
0: And lovely we can do a perfect analogy here with Blackboard. So, one of the things I talk to instructors about a lot is deleting the extra things in their course. Now, a lot of instructors just hold on to stuff for years, and. I've gone into classes and seen videos that were obviously produced in the 1980s. And I guarantee you there has been better material created since then. But it's the thing that they found that was perfect. They've built a course around it. They've built an identity based on that in that particular lesson, right? We always want to go back and refresh. We want to do our spring cleaning. We want to do our fall cleaning, maybe even winter break cleaning. What's that? Is that a gift I could give to somebody else that I can re-gift? And, oh, look at that. My class is even cleaner now, and their class has a good starting point. All of those things are really helpful. The things we always talk to instructors about are deleting the things that you don't want. Organizing what you actually have. This is another big spring cleaning thing, right? You don't just put it back in another box and put it back in the closet. You want to organize it so you know how to find it, that if you need to send somebody to the hallway closet to find the tape, to wrap the presents, you know where it is and they can find it easily. <laughs> so these are so important. Uh, so it's all about getting rid of what you don't want, making the things that you have useful and actually using them, and then creating. Uh, and then creating a more accessible use for those things. It's not just about having the PDF. It's about having an accessible PDF, right? Blackboard helps you with all these things, but you have to work with it. <laughs> you can't just keep throwing things into your Blackboard course and expecting Blackboard to do that organization for you. It's something you can have good joy in and your students can love it, but you gotta put the work in at the beginning.
1: Yeah, it's really important to have things organized for the students and easy to find for them. And like you said, accessible. That's something that we don't talk about often enough. Um, But if you put a PDF or a Word document in your course and you have a student who needs a screen reader, but that PDF isn't tagged or you don't have titles in your Word document, um, then that becomes a problem on the screen reader and makes it more difficult for them to access that information.
0: And we want to use that accessibility every chance we get, right? Blackboard has this lovely little scale whenever you add anything to it. It'll say, hey, this is wonderful. You're in the green. This is happy. We love it. And then sometimes you'll post something and it'll be red. <laughs> and you have to really be considerate not just to the students you have today, but the students you may have next semester. There's no reason not to go ahead and create accessibility options. So, that if you do copy your course or somebody else uses that same material, you're giving them quality material to work with, giving your future self good material to work with. And a lot of that organization and addition is about creating courses that you can build on in the future and that stay relevant. So, in the future, we're also going to be switching to Blackboard Ultra. We want to make sure that as we're building stuff now, we're building materials that we can. Take into the next version. If you have something that's accessible now, it will be in the future too, because that is something that's going to be built for a mobile experience. Those are things that people can use on different devices. We want that to happen across the board. We'd love it if every student was sitting down at the best computer in the best environment with the best internet connection, but that's not the way that students learn now, right? They're learning on the go. They're sometimes listening to the ebook that you posted while they're driving to work, right? So everything needs to have that level of accessibility so that every different kind of student can access it.
1: Right, right. We, we've we been actually talking about this a lot um, when we're designing our courses, mm. is that our student population isn't always the traditional student who's coming out of high school and straight to college. A lot of times these people are working parents mm-hmm. um, or Sometimes they are people who are responsible for caring for others, whether or not they are parents Um, or they've got three jobs because they're trying to pay for this school Um, and because they are non-traditional students. So they don't have as much access to scholarships or things like Uh that. And so finding that that method that really works so that students can absorb the information that you're giving them. And one of those things is having it to be accessible in in those chunks where they can listen to it on a 30-minute drive to work or while they're doing the dishes. (laughs) Right. And we talk about this sometimes as
0: as part of the organization. I'm huge on organization. You'll hear me talk about it a lot. I'm pretty OCD about things. My closet is color-coded. So that's who you're talking to right now. (laughs) But a lot of the times we look at classes and see that instructors are using more of the junk drawer mentality of creating something instead of the filing cabinet version, right? Whenever you go in and you look at a filing cabinet, you don't want to just open a drawer and there be stacks of papers. You have folders and you have them labeled. And in Blackboard, you can do that same thing. You've got your left-hand menu. You've got however many drawers over there you want. You don't want 30 drawers. How are students going to know which drawer to open? You want to get rid of the stuff they aren't using. Then whenever they open a drawer, you want to have everything labeled appropriately so they understand what they're dealing with. The outside of the drawer is labeled, the folders within it are labeled, and then you pick up a document from one of those folders. and By golly, it's got a name on it, too. (laughs) Everything is labeled. That makes sense. We don't want you to put in this is October 22nd's work, right? Because that can make it so that you can't really copy it to the next semester. But there's no reason why things can't be audiology lesson. Or, you know, the human body, whatever it is you're working on, name it so that students know what they're getting into. They've opened the drawer. Everything's neat and tidy. They know how to find stuff. (laughs) Well,
1: and there should be a course schedule that helps keep students on track. Please do that. (laughs) Um, And I will say, Ultra looks a little bit different. So you don't have as many options on your left-hand navigation, but it sequences students... Very clearly through. So as long as you've put things in a logical order and labeled it, named it, (laughs) named what it is, um, then students have no trouble navigating there either because of the, the design of ultra has. Has been planned. Um, To have that intuitiveness to it.
0: And that's the hope, right? Is that the reason that we're going to a new thing, and we've all seen it, we've played with it. And I really like that part of it. The hope is because it does push you towards that organization, that it becomes even more intuitive and easier for instructors to do that. But you'll want to remember that even in those lessons, right, we still want to introduce students to the topic. We still want to conclude a topic. I personally love it whenever I look at an instructor's course and they've got either an introductory little video to a topic or a conclusion video. You know, it's just three minutes that they recorded that said, hey, I'm so excited that we're learning about, I don't know, the spleen this week, (laughs) right? Nobody talks about the spleen enough. Let's get into it. There's nothing more exciting than a spleen. I mean, come on. The human body is a miracle. So I love it when an instructor says, this is what we're talking about. And speaking about those inst- students that are, you know, run into work or something, that they can have that five minute video that says, hey, this is the important things that are the takeaway from the PowerPoint you're going to look at. This is the important things I really want you to focus on when you're reading. Then they are... Prepared, they had that little chunk of time that they could use to spend on it. Then whenever they've got other amounts of time during the day to work on something, they really know where to focus their energies. We'd love it if everyone had all the time in the world to really focus on things, to do their own Google deep dives, and that they just loved every second of every lesson. But sometimes people really need to narrow down to what they really need to focus on. And having an introduction like that really helps them do that. Same with the conclusion, right? You can ask a student to watch your video, to read the lesson. They may get to the end and go, that was a lot of material. I read it all. I feel like I understood it. But I need a little extra help knowing where I should use my mental energy on this. So if you go back through and you say, here's a little review of what five things about the spleen I really need you to remember, right? then that student can say, okay, those were the things I thought were most important. Awesome. I'm glad I got it right. Or they can go, oh, maybe I should go back over that little part of the chapter because I did not gather that the spleen did. I don't know. I don't even know what a spleen does. See, this is why we need that class.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I will say even like before your videos or readings, adding in those, just some focus questions. So students Mm. can hone in on the information that you know, you're wanting them to get out of it. It doesn't mean they can't also get other information. Right. But at least they can, they're focusing there. And then the other thing that I found really helpful, uh, and this has been on my mind a lot lately, is adding the timing of what you think, you know, an average person. Again, how long would it take them to get through the reading mm. and the discussion board you posted and that little quiz and your, you know, 10-minute video? Um So I can plan out in my week exactly when I can do these things and how I can focus because otherwise I'm scrambling to find the time that I need. But if I know ahead of time kind of it should take me about this long, I can kind of plan for that. Um, And so it helps me a little bit just see what I'm supposed to do and how much time I need to do it a little better. And that's also setting expectations
0: is super important. And we'll talk here in a minute about giving students feedback so they understand your expectations more clearly. But if you say to a student, this discussion board post is about a 10-minute thinker. It's not a two-hour thinker. I want you to read the material and then come in and just post your thoughts on it. That's a different discussion board post than I need you to come in here and create an hour of thought and distill it into a discussion board. It lets students know what you are hoping to get out of their work now a part of this that we push instructors on a lot is giving students feedback immediately now in a discussion board post that's pretty easy right you can comment under it and say this was great wonderful thank you that's more of a feedback for everybody the thing i push for all the time is giving timely feedback in the grade center As soon as instructors see that work has been turned in, I mean, you don't have to do it that second, but let's not leave a student hanging for a week. Give them the feedback on what they did well and what you expect to see different in the future. If you don't do that feedback quickly enough, they have more work that is being done and they may get into the expectation of a certain level of work in your class and not realize they aren't meeting what you wanted them to do. We want students to, throughout the semester, grow, learn, and get better in your class. And every instructor has different rules on what they want, right? I am obsessive in my class about they have to use Roman numerals on their outline. By the end of the semester, if you're not putting Roman numerals on your outline, you have not passed my class. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty simple thing. But that's in my class. Some instructors may not care at all about the number format that you're doing for the papers that you're turning in in their class. If I'm not consistent in giving them that feedback, it's hard for them to say, or for me to say at the end, but you should know this, right? Blackboard gives you that chance to document that kind of feedback over and over again. So you can say, from the very first thing you turned in, let's look at my comments on that. Do I have anything that references this? I do. It looked like you took that comment on board and then you forgot it (laughs) or that. Look at you. You've gotten better every time. Thank you so much for taking my feedback.
1: Right. And you and I um, have talked about this several times in the past because it's (laughs) one of my favorite features in Blackboard, and that is the Comment library, at least that's what I call it personally. It's not actually its name.
0: <laughs> yes. It's a content library. Yes. Exactly. It's a content library of your comments. So it's a little confusing, but once you find it, you'll love it. So if you haven't found this before in your Grade Center, welcome. This is a magic tool. So whenever you are grading a student's paper, Up until now, you've probably noticed that you can put in comments, you can circle things, you can write on the paper, you can highlight things. It's a simplified version of that Word document track changes, right? Now, there's also an area where you can add your own comments and reuse them over and over again, and you can use them across your classes. So for me, I would type out the phrase, This is not APA formatting. Please check OWL Purdue for APA formats for this. And eventually I learned, why don't you put that in a Word document and then copy and paste it into your feedback? Because I was typing it 800 times a semester. Blackboard uh, heard me (laughs) say this, and they've seen how people use things. Sometimes they actually take our feedback and make changes, and that's wonderful. Now, whenever you go into your Grade center and you're grading a student's attempt at the top, you have your the same like I want to add text. I want to add comments, I want to be able to circle this. Now there's a little thing it looks like a couple of books. It looks like a little bit of a shelf of a library. If you click on that, you can add comments. There's a little plus sign. Pull up that Word document that you have been working on for years and add your comments to this. Then, as you grade, You just click on those books and you drag and drop your thing into the area of the document where you need students to see this. You save it and move on. You can still edit it, right? So you can get that document, put it or that comment and put it where you want in the document. That box stays open so you can say, I see that you've improved, but you still need to do this. And then you can save it so you can always edit it still. But. It will save you if you grade a lot of documents and you've found yourself typing the same thing a hundred times, it will save you hours and hours of work. You still have your other places. you can give feedback. You still got the feedback to user, all of that. You can still use a rubric. You can still do all of those other things. This is just one more way that hopefully you can give constructive feedback more time in a more timely manner because again, the whole goal is that you give them that feedback quickly enough so that they can take it on board for the next time, right? Because you're not just doing one big paper, right? You're doing lots of little guys that you want them to improve on every time because we like our students to get better at things <laughs> and to feel better every time, right? So you're, you may have categories because you can also categorize these comments. You may have categories that are needs improvement category, doing great category, and you can sort by that or you can search for the ones that do that. It's really great, play with it it's It's fantastic. Um, we want people to use that tool and build it up it's we think it's really awesome.
1: <laughs> I love it just because I feel like it as a an instructor, it saves you so much time and grading. Sometimes there are the big, bulky classes where you have tons of students um and it's just hard if you to keep the rigor of the work that you're asking them to do when it's, you know, you have so many papers to grade yourself that you can't get through them in a timely manner because there are so many students there. And so anything that helps me cut back on that time, I'm a fan of.
0: (laughs) So there's another thing too, that I think that people don't use as much as they could. Whenever you're grading, you can also do audio feedback for your students. Audio feedback for me is great. It's the same for me as sending someone a text. If I'm going to send you a text using my little fingers and typing something out, it's going to be a real short text because I get bored real fast. But if I use my speech to text, I will explain the whole thing instead of just see you there. It will be I'll see you in about 20 minutes after I drop the dogs off at the daycare and whatever else it is. So, whenever you're grading, you have your feedback to learner box. At the bottom of that box, there's this little italicized A that thing pops up the real text box for you. This is also where if you needed to copy and paste something and you wanted it to make sure it looked really good, all of that can be done here. It also still has that little plus sign at the end of the icons where if you've ever needed to add a Kaltura Media video to something, that's where you find that. Here, that little plus sign has an option to do an audio recording. So you can click that audio recording, have the student's paper pulled up, and say, hey, in this first paragraph, remember the introduction needs to include these three things. And you can go through them. And you can do that recording so much faster, or I can anyway, than I can type. <laughs> I, I'm i pretty fast at it, but I can, I'll talk more clearly. I'll really focus on the student's work because I'm having to go through it line by line, right? I'm really looking at that paper. So the audio feedback can be great. Students really like it because it's original, right? Sometimes if you've written a lot of papers or if you've gotten a lot of feedback on things, sometimes you'll start skipping over what people have written. You'll just accept what they, what they said instead of really considering why they said it. This gives you as the instructor, a lot of opportunity to explain the why behind a choice or what you're recommending as opposed to a student just going, okay, I guess I'll take whatever they said. Right, it's another opportunity to teach rather than just to give feedback. It's it's a double whammy of awesome.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, so I haven't personally used this yet, but I have heard really good things from instructors, not only about their experience using it, but also from the feedback they got from students when they did use it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think students really like anything that feels new too. Will give them just that extra impetus to participate in it. So. I wouldn't say ever do anything just because, oh, it's new and fun. But also students like that. Humans like that. (laughs) We like new things. It's exciting for us. So anytime that you can spice stuff up like that, that's an excellent thing to do in Blackboard.
1: Yeah, I mean anything that we can do to get the message through that we're trying to get to
0: students. (laughs) We do it 15 different ways if we need to. Post the link, give them feedback, do a picture, do a video, do a dance. (laughs) Whatever it takes, we want to do that. So we're constantly trying to think of different ways and better ways to give them feedback, to give it to them as quickly as possible, and to make it as effective as possible. And so I think giving it to them in different ways, listening to feedback from your students. It's important that if you are trying something new that you don't just go, well, I did that and everyone loved it. Maybe the, the, you know, I wouldn't recommend probably the audio feedback for a math course. I feel like you probably need to see the thing you're talking about, show it in some way. There you could do video feedback. There is that option too. So if you needed to say, this is how the formula should look, you can record your desktop as you go through it and show them that, that's great. You can also do a a big recording for the whole class and say, hey, I noticed quite a few of us had this issue whenever I was doing my grading. And that's whenever you give them all feedback on something that everyone can improve on, right? All of those things don't have to be specific to students. That kind of information can be for everybody. If you notice one person have problems with it, maybe everyone had it, but only one person's did it show in the work.
1: Yes, and so this timely feedback, whether you're giving it to an individual student or the entire class actually counts as part of the regular and substantive interaction. And so that's kind of another... um, Thing to keep in mind as you go through, though, the timeliness of your feedback matters, because just like Abby was talking about earlier, students need to be able to do something with it in your course and show you that they can respond to your feedback. That's part of the learning process. And so having that's why it's part of what I call RSI, because I get tired of saying regular <laughs> and substantive interaction. Um that's why it's part of RSI because it it really helps you get ahead of that. It helps you engage with students and have them really feel like they're getting something out of your course um, and not just teaching themselves. Because sometimes and when you're an online course, it can feel very isolating. You can feel student. lonely in yeah. a course. And I will say also doing that kind of
0: feedback for yourself as the instructor will help you next year. So much of the stuff that we do, we think of as I'm responding to this moment right now. But you're not going to have a group of aliens in your class next semester. They're going to have the same kind of questions. They're going to have the same kind of quandaries about how the spleen works. (laughs) Right. So aliens will probably have more questions. (laughs) Actually, they may have studied us better. (laughs) and They might really know what the spleen does. And I don't. Um, But... If you start noticing trends, right? If you notice in your comment library the things, the content library, <laughs> the things that you're using over and over again, the feedback that you're giving over and over again, the videos that you're creating, those are the things that you start to say, oh, I'm noticing a trend in what my students aren't understanding. And because you're giving them that feedback so instantly and so con- comprehensively, you are able then to incorporate that into the next semester of teaching. So each time that you realize, oh, this was a really confusing area for them, that's what you can then say, Okay, that needs to be its own subsection of the lesson. And I can talk about the problems that people have had with this in the past. I think every student feels better when they know it's not just them that has a hard time with something. If you say, man, it can be really confusing. I've had students in the past who asked me about this and this and this, and they had a really hard time understanding X. So I'm going to spend an extra little bit of time today covering those. And then if you guys have any follow-ups, let me know. And that way I can continue to build the information for the next group of students. I want them all to get better every year, right? So you may discover that that one thing you thought was small, that's a whole lesson.
1: (laughs) It's hard. Yes. And, And student perception matters because it gives you that feedback. And... It helps you organize your course for the future mm-hmm. and you say, hey, I do need this subsection or, you know what, I need to add more resources on this so that students can see it from a different perspective because the lecture video I recorded on it, you know, isn't getting across to some of them um, because sometimes that just happens. You you need it from multiple perspectives. Students might need to hear it eight times, you know, and from different people because that just helps <laughs> whether you're popping that Khan Academy video in there Um, or, or whatever it is that you are doing to supplement what you've already given them, just something that helps them grow, um, in that lesson, because you've got the data now. Um, and, and this is kind of the hard part, I think of what you were talking about is actually keeping up with that data between then and the end of the semester. So you can do something in your course. Mm -hmm. But what I kind of have wondered about is what if they, requested a dev shell for their course and started making those changes as they go in the dev shell. Now that's one more thing to do in the semester, but then you don't have a big glob of things to do at the end of the semester.
0: And we love a dev shell anyway, right? We used to say these were all sandbox courses because they were all places that you played. So we still have sandbox courses, but we also have dev shells and that's development shells, obviously. (laughs) that where at the beginning of the semester, or at the end, depending on when you listen to this, you can request a dev shell from the BB admins and say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to copy my course as it is right now into this. And I'm going to delete everything that I'm not using. I'm going to tidy up the things that have been driving me crazy because I have three versions of test two. I'm going to come in here and I'm actually going to clean those up. I'm going to delete the ones I'm not using. I'm going to get rid of all the extra stuff. And I'm going to use this as a as a parallel course as I'm going through next semester. And I'm going to make notes to myself. What's working? What isn't? I'm going to take feedback and I'm going to work on changing those things. I'm not going to do it in my live course because that's where I'm <laughs> I've got students in there and I can't delete test two because that one kid took it <laughs> and I still need his responses. But I want to make sure that I'm having a nice clean class to go forward with and that. I can keep adding to it and keep removing as I go and it not impact what where my students actually are. And then in the future, you've got this gorgeous little shell of a class sitting there, pretty clean, pristine, lovely, that has taken all the feedback through the semester and gone in there, but it doesn't have the 30 announcements where you were explaining everything. Yes,
1: (laughs) And that is an excellent space to then play around with what does this course look like in ultra? Because The dev shells and all the courses right now that are coming out are instructor choice. You can actually preview Ultra uh, and permanently switch to it. But that takes multiple clicks. So you will know (laughs) if you do that. (laughs) If you do that, that will be on purpose. It's a real change. So (laughs) do that in
0: your dev shell. Don't until you're ready, ready. Let's not do that in your real class. The
1: dev shell that's clean and pretty. That's the one you want to preview in Ultra because you want to see what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, if you want to, you can reach out to your instructional designer Uh, for your online courses and ask them what they think. Get some feedback on your course um, because they're pretty good at evaluating and uh, seeing, you know, a few holes here or there. But also, that's what your students are for. And so getting that data from them and, and kind of that feedback and making those changes as you go when you can Uh, it can be really helpful for you, not only future you, uh, but also your future students. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's the
0: thing. I think so much of the time, and we should be doing this, we should be focusing on the student experience, right? That is the biggest component. But we also want our instructors to feel satisfied in what they're teaching and feel like they're doing a good job. And sometimes if you're given a course, you know, that you didn't, fully engage with before you, you started teaching it, or you just didn't have time. You know, you were an adjunct that got brought in that they need you to teach this class tomorrow. You don't have time to really get in there and experience it. We want instructors to feel really connected to what they're teaching and making those changes and working with people to build that course for the next round is the thing that's going to make you feel connected to it and feel even better about your teaching style. Everybody's just a little different. Like I I teach different than other people. I still think I should have folders in my class that are labeled, but I may have more videos than someone else just because that's where I feel more comfortable. Somebody else may link to more scholarly articles because that's what their class needs. But making those changes and making it yours is really important. You've got to have the pedagogical truth of the class, but you can also have the personality on it too.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And those, you know, introduction videos that you were talking about or conclusion videos and adding in the resources. That's where you bring in your personality. Yeah. We want students to have similar experiences in their courses. We want them to come away with the same knowledge, no matter what course, you know, if it's if it's supposed to be the same course, no matter who's teaching it,
0: they should come the same core knowledge
1: (laughs) with the same core knowledge. Right. But that doesn't mean that your expertise, they don't also come away with that. Because you are a person, you're unique, your knowledge is unique, and, and you have something to say to them. And so sharing that really expands their learning.
0: Especially when we're talking about those online students that don't always feel seen. That if you can do it in a way that shows that, hey, I'm also out here trying to learn stuff and grow with you. You're in my class trying to do this. As your instructor, I'm doing it too. We're all getting better throughout the semester. Man, they feel so much more real everybody feels more real in their class and loves it more they come out having learned more because they were interested in it more because you were interested in it so we want to push that every time
1: and Abby mean i've talked a lot about videos uh you can do these on zoom but kaltura is another really great option for that um if you do it on zoom it goes into your my media anyway so you can also <laughs> put it into your course through kaltura so however you record your videos, um, keep those tools in mind.
0: Or if you want to come to Global Campus and use our recording suites, any of that, we have a cool little light board thing that I see show up in classes quite a bit. That's fun.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, I always want to call it my favorite thing in the studio, but then I see something else and I'm like, oh, that's my favorite Oh, that's thing. cool too. Yes, I, I love it all. Um, but the lightboard truly is one of my absolute favorite things to see. It's like a glass chalkboard. And so it shows you writing on the board, but your students can actually see what you are writing. Um, So it's almost as if you were lecturing right there. And I like that component.
0: Yeah, it's there's so much interesting technology. And this is a thing, too. We encourage people to use the accessible technology that we've checked. Right. We have all these integrated tools in Blackboard. We have Global Campus resources. We want those things to happen. But if you have a really creative idea that you want to try in your class, that's something to talk to your instructional designer about, right? You can say, okay, I saw this really cool, you know, software that, what do you think? We can test it out just a little bit and at least see... Do we think this is something that is accessible to students? Is this something that uh, would affect the security of your class? All of those kind right. of things are important. So we always want to make sure that like none of that's stifled. Like we can't ever just say like, no, don't. Why would you ever use quizzical or whatever? Y- we can have fun with all kinds of different technologies. There just are things that we know work and things that we need to test to see if they work. So. Play, have fun. All of that's important so that your class doesn't feel stale or stagnant. Right. But we want to make sure that you're using things that students can access.
1: Yes. And and the things that we promote are things that we know are secure and usable Mm -hmm. and accessible for your students. But we are definitely open to exploring. In fact, we are kind of big nerds about it and love to do it (laughs) on a regular basis. Uh, So anytime you need help, just reach out to your instructional designer. If you don't know who your instructional designer is, you can always reach out to Global Campus, just general email at gcampus at york.edu. Thanks for joining us for part one of our talk with Abby Mosher here on the Pedagogy Toolkit. Join us next time for part two.